0: If you have a Bible, open to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the text up on the screen for you so that you'll be able to follow along. We're, we're actually going to be in quite a few different passages, uh, but, but Colossians 3 is going to be kind of the biggest chunk that we're going to look at. So it would be best just to kind of camp out there for a while. Um, I think one of the most agonizing questions for a Christian is the question of what does God want me to do with my life? When I was growing up, when I was a little younger in, in church, I'd, they would say it this way. What, what is God's will for your life? And for me, those were always the toughest messages to sit through. Because I didn't know, am I in God's will? Am I out of God's will? Am I in the center of God's will? Am I moving towards it, a, a, away from it? I just could never get my head around what it is that I'm supposed to be doing on planet Earth. There's a pretty popular book written by a guy named Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, And he attempts to answer this question, what on earth am I here for? And and he lays out in this book, he says, we're here to accomplish five purposes. And those five purposes are worship, ministry, fellowship, evangelism, and discipleship. That's a great list. I'm all for all the things on that list. But my my issue is I think only one of them, worship, is broad enough to cover all of life. He summarizes and concludes in that book, um, He says, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will make you a great Christian. And I'm all for being a a great Christian. But but most of our lives do not fit into exclusively Christian categories. C.S. Lewis, when he came to faith in Jesus, he he spoke about how it didn't change what he did in his life, but it did change how he did did it. He wrote, before I became a Christian, I do not think I fully realized that one's life after conversion would inevitably consist in doing most of the same things that one had been doing before. One hopes they would do them in a new spirit, but still the same things. You see, Christian or not, we're going to spend much of our lives hanging out with family and friends, doing chores, washing cars, taking our kids to Little League practice or soccer practice, cooking dinner for people, cleaning up after those people, and all the things that you do in in your day. Not because we're Christian, but because we're human. What we believe is we believe that the redemption that comes through Jesus brings a restoration to his creation which certainly includes us, humanity. And if redemption restores creation, then the whole point of being a redeemed Christian is to be a more flourishing human. And, and what that means is that it's a human that loves God and loves their neighbor. Flourishing doesn't mean necessarily becoming rich or becoming powerful. It means being in right relationship with God and right relationship with neighbor. It, me- it means becoming... The person that God made you to be and and you achieving the fullest use of your potential so that you would glorify God by loving him, loving others, and making the world a better place. And and the way that we love God is by seeing others and stewarding uh, what he has given us so that we could serve others. We serve others by loving God and obeying his commandments. And we steward well when we obey God and seek the greatest good for our neighbor. Everything we do matters to God. That's what we say when we say all of life is all for Jesus. If, that, if that's true, then it has to affect the way that we live our lives. God has to be more than merely just the top priority in our life. He has to permeate, that is, he has to sink deep into every aspect of our lives and transform it. God cares deeply that we would read our Bible, that we would be in the scriptures, that we would pray, that we would worship and serve in and support our local church. But he also cares how you treat your family, what you do for fun, how you perform in your jobs. Jesus is the creator of all and the redeemer of all, means he's the Lord and the king of all. There's a common problem in Christian circles, and it's this false teaching and this kind of false understanding that there are sacred jobs, and those are jobs that pastors have or missionaries or Christian school teachers or K-Love DJs. And then there are these secular jobs, right? And that's what everybody else who isn't called does for work. And so if you do spend your time during the week as an architect or a barista or a school teacher or a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, then you better get to church on Sunday and you you better serve in children's ministry, you better hold the door open for Sunday for for somebody when they're coming in if you want to redeem what you did all week. And I think for so long what churches have tried to do is they've tried to recruit people, they've tried to recruit the people of God, and, and, and really kind of begging them, uh, saying, would you please just use a little bit of your resources, a little bit of your leisure time, so that you can support these uh, missionary initiatives of the church-paid workers, But you see, what the elders and what the leaders at Redemption Church, what we believe is that God calls us as shepherds to serve and to equip the people of God so that they might have fruitful mission in all of their lives. We do have missionary initiatives here. We have things that we want you to participate in. We're going to Alaska in in June. We're going to Ethiopia in October. We want you to go. We want you to be a part of that. But our hope and our prayer is that when you go to another place or another context or another culture, and you go and you serve those people and you learn from them that you will return to your place and your context and your people and your culture, and you'll have a renewed vision and a renewed passion and a renewed purpose and love to serve them with the same excitement and the same eagerness that you had when you went to Alaska or you went to Ethiopia. There's no distinction between sacred and secular in the kingdom of God. A.W. Tozer says it this way, it's not what a man does that determines whether or not his work is sacred or secular, it's why he does it. Okay, so here's where we're going today. We, we want to have kind of have this 40,000 foot aerial view picture of this topic all of life. This is just a, a monster topic. It has massive and nuanced implications. There's no way that I could cover it all in just one sermon, one message. So if there's something that I miss or something I don't say, uh, and, and you really wanted to hear about it, you really want to hear it, I'm going to encourage you to email Brian Berger. Um, <laughs> he's uh, the pastor that takes care of all the things that I miss, and uh, you can talk to him about it. He'll sort it out. No, don't do that to Brian. He gets enough. But. Um, there are two words that, that help us, uh, I think, to think through all of life, all for Jesus. There, there, there are two words that um, really talk about how this plays out in the life of a Christian. The first word is the word love, and the second word is the word worship. Love and worship. You see, the highest purpose of life is to love God with everything we have and to love others more than we love ourselves. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40, Jesus is asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When you love someone, you tend to take an interest in what they are interested in or what they're into. So I know far more about Paw Patrol and American Girl dolls than any grown man should. (laughs) But my kids are really into those things, and I love my kids, so I'm very interested, and I know about those things. So if I love God, I need to love and and know about and care about what He loves. What does God love? Well, According to John 3.16, He loves the world. What's in the world? Everything and everyone. People, plants, animals, art, music, science, business, everything. And I realize that for some of us, this creates a tension because we know, well, we have to love God more than we love the world. But you see, if we truly love God, we will also love the world on his behalf. God does matter. He matters more than the world. But because he loves it, the world matters to us. And when we passionately love God and love our neighbors as ourselves, we challenge all those worldly structures and systems that dishonor God, that dehumanize and devalue people and neglect or do harm to his creation. That first word is love. The second word is worship. Worship is our response, both corporate and personal, to who God is For who he is and what he has done. And then it's expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Paul writes this after he's written all this rich theology, these rich truths and thoughts about God. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies. That is everything that you do in your bodies, which is to say your life, all of your living. Present your life as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, worship is not just simply us singing songs together on a Sunday morning. That's singing. It's definitely an expression of worship, but worship is not simply limited to what we do in this room on a Sunday morning. And I know we refer to these guys as, as, as worship leaders, and, and they do lead us in an incredible way in a corporate expression. And we gather in a room that we call the Worship Center, which those names are all true. They do lead us in worship. We worship Jesus here together corporately. But the gathered worship that takes place inside this building is not only to be a time of worship for its own sake, it must also prepare us to worship in everything that we do throughout the week. Church doesn't end on Sunday. You, you can lead worship in your home when you love and serve your husband or your wife in a sacrificial way and when you train your children up in what it is to, to love and to honor God. Worship can be led in your neighborhood when you help your neighbor fix his car provided that you know how to fix a car, or, or when you help them watch their house when they're out of town. W- worship is led in the classroom or at work when you study and work in a way that shows that you honor God and, and, and that you treat work and school as a gift and not a curse. And church, that's something we really have to get away from. We really have to get away from treating work and school like they are a curse on us. Do you know right now there are 60 million people worldwide who are refugees, 12 million alone from the war in Syria? Men, women, children who've been forced out of their homes, they've been forced out of their jobs, they've been forced out of their classrooms. Do you not think that one of them, any one of them, would do anything, would give anything to spend one day employed at your job? or to sit in your classroom. Just think about that the next time you want to complain about what God has allowed you to do. Our work, our schoolwork, our, uh, what God lets us do. It's not the daily grind. It's a daily gift. The Bible says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever it is that you do, do it all for the glory of God. This gospel, this transforming power of God who generously and graciously pours out his love for us in the redemptive and finished work of Jesus Christ, who gives all of himself for all of the world, is so beautiful that it compels us to respond by offering all of our life as worship to him. In these moments of corporate worship, when we gather together on Sundays, and this is why this is so important. Our hearts are renewed. Our hearts are converted. Our life together is restored as we hear from his word, as we take communion together, as we sing together the lyrics. I don't know about you, but I feel like every song we sang this morning had a truth and a message I so desperately needed to hear and be reminded of. It was like water to a parched soul for me. We develop relationships through our humble service and our hospitality to one another that this corporate gathering is so important in the life of a believer. But our daily individual worship, our relationship with God is renewed and the world around us is restored as we devote ourselves to prayer, as we, as we uh, devote ourselves to his word, and we live out the gospel in every area of our lives. All right, Colossians chapter 3. We're finally getting there. Paul writes this to the church. Listen to what Paul says. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. Put on then, in other words, Paul's saying, "This this is what you wear. This is the wardrobe of a follower of Jesus. Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. That's who you are. Put on compassionate hearts. And put on kindness and humility and meekness and patience. What Paul is saying, when people look at you, when people talk about you, when people know you or hear about you, these are the things that they should associate with you, church. This is what you should be known for, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, in other words, what ties the whole outfit together is love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And then I love this is just so simple. And just be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Skip down to verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that, you, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The language is very important in that passage of scripture there in verse 17, that word whatever in its original language, it means whatever. It means everything. All of life means all, but we live and act like there are things that are off limits, don't we? All of life is all for Jesus. Great phrase, love it, totally buy into it, uh, except uh, it doesn't include my money. Doesn't include my comfort, my safety, my security. Doesn't include my goals, my dreams, my leisure, my rec- recreation. Tim said last week, I thought this was so great, that, that phrase, all of life is all for Jesus. What it allows us to do, it allows us to ask the question what would this area of my life look like if Jesus is king? And the reality, the truth is, he is king. He's king over every square inch of his creation and every minute and molecular detail of your life. He is king over that. And he is a good king. And a good king cares about every aspect of his kingdom He cares about the people of his kingdom. He cares about the crops and the land. He cares about the streets and the buildings, the art, the music, the science, the engineering, the education, the politics, every part. He cares about it. He cares about the meals that are prepared in the kitchen and the garbage that is picked up in the streets. Jeremy Olam gave me this line. He said, the good king is a micromanager of joy in his kingdom. And for that, his people love him. And what Paul's doing in this passage in Colossians is that he's opening a a wide door to us here, telling us, whatever it is that you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. You see, our motive is everything. One author said that this one, let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act. Why are you doing what you're doing in life? Are you doing what you're doing in life ultimately on a path and on a plan to make Jesus known? Or is it simply so that you can make you known? Because when your purpose is to magnify Jesus, to highlight Jesus in everything that you do, whatever you do is sacred because your heart is set apart to God. Set your desire apart to God in whatever it is that you do. You see, the purpose matters in everything that we do. And our purpose to make Jesus famous is what drives our passion. It's what makes us bring our very best. Uh, There's someone I heard talk about this. And he was saying, in your life, you can be doing good or you can be doing time. In life, you can be doing good or you can be doing time. Because our life is about doing good for someone to the glory and the fame of Jesus, not just about simply doing time. Our life is about doing good because he is good. And this is in no way talking about trying to earn the approval or the favor or the acceptance of God or trying to impress God. It's about making an impression with your life that tells the story of how good God is. It's doing good versus doing time in all aspects of your life, in your finances. Doing good is being generous. And giving, God continues to give you resources and you continue to give them away for the glory of God and for the ultimate good of someone else. Doing time is when you're hoarding all those resources, you're hoarding all those finances just for yourself. In your work, doing good is being excellent, acting like an owner versus stealing from your employer. That's just doing time. In your neighborhood, doing good is respecting the community. If you have a dog, you walk your dog, your dog poops in somebody's yard, pick it up. That's doing good. That's for anybody who lives in my neighborhood. Doing time is when you selfishly treat your neighborhood like it's a disposable asset and you can just do whatever you want there. Doing good in your recreation, you enjoy the hobbies and the gifts and the things that God gives you as a gift and you ultimately are enjoying the giver of that gift. Doing time means that you live for your hobby, that you really are just working for the weekend. And that that hobby, that leisure defines you, it's the ultimate thing. In, in, in your retirement Doing good means that you're not wasting that time. If you retired so you can go play golf all the time, that's great. Take somebody with you. Teach them about golf. Teach them about life, what you've learned, what was good, what was bad. Ultimately, you'll get a chance to teach them about Jesus. In your relationships, doing good means you're serving people. Doing time means you're using people. In your home ownership, doing good means you improve and you maintain your home so that it can be a haven for strangers and neighbors. Doing time means that you're improving and building your home so there can be a fortress for all your stuff. And your education, doing good means that you're pursuing education ultimately so you can do good for others. Doing time means that you're pursuing education so somebody will notice you. And you're eating and you're drinking. You like good food, you like good drink, that's great. Share it. Share it. That's how you ultimately enjoy it anyway. That's how you do good. Doing time is when you're a glutton or a drunkard. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul says this, For from God and through God and to God are all things, so to God be the glory forever. Amen. What Paul's saying is here, whatever you have is from God, by God, and ultimately for God. You have... Ability, gifting, opportunity, and responsibility, not just so that you can move into a better neighborhood or drive a nicer car or climb up some corporate ladder. You have those things so that you can make Jesus known. Listen, I'm not speaking out against those things. Those things are all great. I hope they happen for you. I hope you get it. I I hope that's your reality. But it is far more important that in your life, Jesus is made much of than you having any of these things. Do you believe that, Christian? Jesus tells us that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. His whole life. Jesus was a servant of all. And when you live your life for Jesus, you live your life like Jesus, and you live as a humble servant, joyfully looking for ways to do good to others in every single way, every day. That's the heart and the attitude of a Christian, not just pastors and missionaries. It's the call to anyone who says Jesus is king. This is the heart that we bring to everything we do and everyone we meet. This is why Paul instructs the church. He says, have the same mind as Christ. The mind that says, how can I give my life away for the sake of others? Listen, if God has given you good gifts, enjoy those things. Whatever whatever it is that you have, God gives good gifts. Use them. Enjoy them. And here's the best way to do that. Here's the best way to enjoy what God has given you. Offer them up as a sacrifice. Offer them up as a sacrifice in an act of worship to God in a way that honors him and makes much of him and ultimately does good for someone else. And you say, God, you have given me so much. This is what you've, you've given me. Talent, you've given me ability, you've given me resources, you've given me a great home, you've given me a great family, you've, you've given me all these good gifts, and they are yours. You do with them whatever it is that you want. And here's the deal. If you can't sacrifice it, that means that you make sacrifices to it. If you can't sacrifice it, that means that it is something in your life that you make sacrifices to. And anything that you make a sacrifice to is an idol that you worship. And because God loves you, He's going to take that idol away from you anyway. Or He's going to allow you to pursue that idol and make it drive you miserable. I have to preach this like this because this is me. I I was talking to my wife last night and she was asking, well, what are you going to be talking about? And I told her what I was going to say. And she's like, isn't that like the last three messages that you've preached? (laughs) I was like, well, I guess I still haven't got it yet. You know, these poor people have to sit through this journey with me, but, but this is me. In fact, just this weekend I was, I was with a friend. We were, we were going to, uh, shoot sporting clays, one of my hobbies. And I was driving out there with him to the to the range, and I said, I said, you know, I genuinely can thank God for all of that. I, I can just have gratitude and thank God for everything we're about to do. I thank God that I'm, I get to go do this with my friend. I thank God for the equipment that he's allowed me to have. I thank God for the, the, the science, the engineering behind everything that's going to make all of this work. I thank God that I get to spend uh, an hour or so outdoors. The weather is beautiful. Uh, all of this, I, I can genuinely thank God for every little aspect of what we're going to do with this hobby, and then in the very next moment, I can twist it, I can be prideful and arrogant when I don't miss, I can go into despair and insecurity and fear of man when I do. I can thank God for what he allows me to have and I can become super materialistic and covet what everybody else around me has. So I need this, I need to be reminded of this. What we're talking about um, is all of life. We have just a few minutes left here, because I, uh, but I wanna dial in on one particular aspect of, of all of life, and that is, that's our work. In the Old Testament, um, there's a word, avoda. Full disclosure, I had to ask Neil how to say that this morning. It's a Hebrew word um, whose root has three distinct meanings, and those meanings are work, worship, and service. You see, our work is a form of worship. And what the scripture says is don't do your work half-hearted. Do it like God gifted you to do it. Do your work like God gave you the ability and the opportunity and the responsibility because he did. Here's how we illustrate this. Anybody here um, ever or currently work at a, a drive through window in a fast food restaurant? Yeah, don't, no, don't be ashamed of that, okay? Now, you can work at that drive through window, and it can be amazing when you occupy that window like the king has put you there. You're not buying it. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this How many people in here have ever been through a drive through window? Okay, here you go. How many of you, when you go through that window, does it matter to you if they get your order right? Does that matter to you? Or is that just kind of like a suggestion? Like, I really don't want onions on the burger, but if you put them on there, that's okay. I guess, I guess you know better than me, right? <laughs> do you care if you can understand the person when you're talking through that little box? Like, does that matter to you? Is that important to you? Does it matter to you? Is it important that when you drive away and you look in the bag that everything's the way that it's supposed to be? Or do you love it when it's all wrong and you have to drive back in, walk into the restaurant, stand there, wait for them to fix your order and put it back together? Which is the whole reason you went through the drive through in the first place so you wouldn't have to deal with that. Or do you like to just kind of say, well, I'm just going to take this value meal beating and eat whatever it is they gave me because <laughs> that's just how it goes. Does that matter to you? Well, listen, I, I know we're not talking about reaching unreached people groups or you know, eradicating poverty here, but this matters. Do you care that the person at the window is polite? Is that a big deal to you? Okay, so what if you're in that window, you operate that, someone pulls up and you're happy to see them, you're smiling, you compliment them. And and, and you've gone through their order and everything is perfect. Everything is put together right. In fact, you put extra napkins in the bag for them, right? That's doing good. I know this isn't changing the world, but but if you work that window like a servant of the king and someone who's been beat down by life comes through and you treat them well, you might change their day. You might change their life. If God puts you there and we believe that he did, And all of our life is all for him. Why not own it? Why not act like an owner to steward that job, your ability, your opportunity to make much of Jesus and not just act like an employee waiting to collect a paycheck? And you don't have to own the restaurant to do good. You can do good right there. And you can think about how would I want to be treated if I went through this line? How can I treat these people like they matter to God because they do? And you can do that all day long. When people start to ask you, what do you do? You say, I do good. Everywhere I go with everything I have, I do good. And at work, when you walk through the door, when you arrive at the meeting, when you repair the transmission, when you edit the photo, when you grade the papers, when you pour the coffee, when you make the omelet, when you hold the mop, when you hold the broom, when you change the diaper, when you do the 27th load of laundry, you do it like God Almighty has put you there because he has. You're clapping now until you got to go back to work. <laughs> and listen, this doesn't mean that you go into your work and the first thing you do is start a Bible study. It means that you put your head down and you grind and you do the best job that you can. Because it might be a decade at your work before anybody even asks you about Jesus and you have an opportunity to tell them. Or it might be a week because God does that kind of stuff too. And listen, you don't need to design clothes that have Bible verses sewn into them, right? You don't need to open a coffee shop and call it Hebrews. We don't... <laughs> We don't need that. We don't need that, right? But what we do need, we do need clothes that are made well and have ethically and responsibly sourced materials. We do need a good cup of coffee, and we need a barista that cares about their craft. You can remember somebody's name, right? When you become excellent in what you do, and people are going to want to talk to you, you become winsome. And when they talk to you about what you do, you can talk to them about why they do it Because what you've done has already spoken to them. You don't have to necessarily make a sacred product. But your conduct in your work has to be sacred. If you lead people, if you have a job where you lead people, help them connect the dots. Help them see this. I have this sermon that's always kind of running in the background in my mind, and it's a sermon that I would hope that i get a chance to preach um, if I ever left working for a local church and went into some other arena at work. And, And I don't have the content of the message, but I have the title, and the title is this, Why I'm Not Leaving Ministry. If I went and worked in a different arena, why I'm not leaving ministry. I've often thought that a manager at a restaurant would have about 100 times more opportunity for ministry than I do as a pastor. You see, when an unbeliever meets a restaurant manager, totally cool. What restaurant do you work at? Oh, I love that. I love eating there. It's my favorite place. When an unbeliever meets a pastor, things get weird really quick. A friend of mine invited me to this uh, dinner once, and and, um, the guys around the table were all older, retired guys, and some had worked as dentists, some had worked as insurance salesmen, some uh, had owned their own business. They were all super successful guys. And we were eating dinner. We were just sitting around. We were talking about guns and football and hunting and all this kind of stuff. And um, in the course of the conversation, one of the guys leaned forward to me, and he said, uh, what about you, Paul? What, What do you do? Are you a heavy equipment operator? Um, which I'm not totally sure why he assumed that. It's not a joke. I actually took it as a compliment. Um, and before I could answer, my, the, my friend who brought me said, no, he's a pastor. And these guys have been drinking whiskey at dinner and acting and talking like guys who drink whiskey at dinner. And, uh, man, they sat up, like, super straight, like someone poked them with a needle. And... <laughs> started acting like really weird. And in fact, one guy at the end of the table kind of like leaned forward to me and he goes, he has risen. (laughs) And I was like, he has, but we we, we weren't talking about that. Um, Now listen, I guarantee if I was a heavy equipment operator, they're not acting like that. But I'll tell you what, If I was the best front-end loader, operator around, I'd have an opportunity to tell them why my work mattered and who I ultimately work for. You see, as as a manager of of employees, you can interact with them and they open up to you in a way that, that most likely will never happen with me. You have a way to speak and to illustrate a better message than any sermon I could ever preach. have a way to model for servers and cooks and busboys what excellent service looks like and why it matters and who it ultimately reflects. This doesn't mean that you make all your staff memorize Bible verses, but it means that you work in such a way and you manage in such a way and you care for them in such a way that when the storms of life hit, and we know they always hit, they're coming to you to talk about it. And then you'll have a chance to make Jesus known. You see, when you do have the opportunity to share Jesus at your work, in your neighborhood, at your school, at your country club, you want to already be known as the best, hardest worker, the one who follows all the HOA rules, the one who's honest on the golf course. You want to already be known with that. You want them to have already seen what Jesus has done in you before they even ask you about him because the world's perception, the world doesn't think that Jesus' people are good at anything, that we're going to be the best people. The world's perception is that we're too busy doing all kinds of spiritual stuff in this building or in our clubs, that we don't have time to learn how to do anything well. But what the world doesn't know and what they need to know is that to us, there isn't a difference between spiritual things and everything else. They need to know that we believe that it's all worship. And because it's worship, we bring our best every time. Jesus came and worked as a construction worker for over a decade and I'll bet he was an amazing carpenter. He, he's there making furniture, and I'll, and I'll bet there wasn't any uneven tables or crooked chairs coming out of his wood shop. He knows this whole time that he's the son of God. He's the king of kings. He's not just the creator of furniture. He's the creator of the universe. But he patiently works and waits until he's 30 years old. Then he finally goes public. He spends three years doing some pretty amazing things. Then he finally gives his life as a ransom for sinners and in our church we don't have assigned seating some of you act like we do but we don't (laughs) we don't say okay if you're a CEO or corporate exec you get the first couple rows here and if you're a janitor we're just going to ask that you sit in the back if we did assign seating we'd probably do it the other way around anyway Jesus was a servant that by the way is the best job you can have in the kingdom of God That's the job you aim for in the kingdom of God, to be a servant. Here's the job description, to lay your life down. To lay your life down, to serve others in an extravagant way at supreme cost to yourself. That's it. That's the best job you can have in the kingdom of God. What do I do with my life? What's God's will? God's will is whatever when that whatever is done in a way that makes much of him and serves others. doesn't matter what you do, but whatever you do, do it with all that you've got for a purpose that's greater than you, for a name that's greater than your name. And when you do, know that we as a church, we've got your back because that's what we do. That's what the scripture calls us to. You want to be a coach, you want to be a graphic designer, you want to be a dancer, you want to start a family, you want to retire early, great. Go do it. Be the best that you can. Because what we want is we want the story of your life to loudly and lovingly tell the story of the one who gave you life, your king, Jesus. (laughs) Let's pray. God, we love you, and um, God, it's so appropriate that, that Tim led us in a moment of confession during communion because that's something that needs to happen um, as soon as we leave this place. There needs to be a confession, God, that so often our life does not look like this. God, we need to confess that. We need to repent. We need to turn from that and turn to the life that you call us to, a life of worship, a life of love, life of a servant. God, we also need to have a confession, God, of thanksgiving. We have so much. God, you are so good to us. And every opportunity, every ability, every responsibility, every resource that you bring our way is to be an offering, a sacrifice of worship and praise and thanksgiving to you. So, God, I pray that that would be our confession. And, God, I do pray that we would be a people who truly do live all of our life Offer your son Jesus. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.